We want to start this episode by telling you to go, yes, right now, to whatever app you are listening to this episode on and subscribe to the podcast Love Murder, because the hosts, Jesse and Andy, are amazing people, and so is their podcast. It is one that you will fall in love with during the first listen. Here's a little bit about the show from Jesse and Andy themselves. First comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes murder? Unfortunately, that's the case for most of the episodes of Love Murder. I'm Jesse Prey. And I'm Andy Cassette, and we're the hosts of Love Murder. Love Murder is a podcast about hidden affairs, devious deceptions, and love gone fatally wrong. To get a taste, check out episode 138, The Young and the Murderous in which a torrid, youthful love affair turns into a brutal double homicide. Follow Love Murder Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While for security purposes, psychologist Kelly Slack, a member of NASA's Johnson Space Center Astronaut Selection Panel, cannot detail the tests astronauts are put through before selection. They must look not only at physical agility, but at mental fortitude as well. You see, spending an average of six months in space, in close quarters, with only a handful of people, far away from family, friends, and modern conveniences, as well as the lack of natural light, causes many problems that must be anticipated. The psychological toll of that cramped, dark, and isolated environment quite often leads to anxiety, depression, excessive alcohol use when they return, withdrawal, and sleep problems. In fact, when NASA published an article titled Five Hazards of Human Spaceflight, situated snugly at number two, right below space radiation, is the behavioral hazard of isolation and confinement. At number three, distance from Earth. Should something happen where supplies are needed or there's a medical event or an emergency, Everything from an appendicitis to breaking equipment. There's no easy nor quick fix. They must communicate via telehealth and then treat themselves or wait until they return home to be treated. But what if I told you that there's a place on Earth where a similar battery of psychological tests must be taken before you travel there? It's a place where those on winter over must also spend six months of their lives in close quarters with a small group of people. They are thrust into six long months of darkness, away from quote-unquote normal living, at a great distance from friends and family. Just like the astronauts, they must plan for six months' worth of living, and that living a thousand miles away from the continent's only functioning township of McMurdo. This place is Antarctica. And the people who travel to work in the South Pole, a special group of people who, like astronauts, have a special set of skills, are called polies. By special set of skills, I mean two things. First, those who go to work in the South Pole are either scientists or those trained to run and work in isolated station mechanics, engineers, cooks, etc. Second, they have a personality that allows them to be loners enough that they can handle being away from loved ones and friends, yet are personable enough to get along with others easily. One such polly 
was a young 32-year-old Australian astrophysicist working on the Antarctic Submillimeter Telescope and Remote Observatory, ASTRO for short, at the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. He was bright, kind, and ambitious. He was also poisoned. This is the case of Rodney David Marks. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Are we going to be in Antarctica today? Yes, we are. Because I'm on Antarctica TikTok. I don't know how I got there, but I really (laughs) like it there. (laughs) That is bizarre. (laughs) <laughs> I like see all these people on the Drake Passage, and I'm like, "Ooh, cool! <laughs> We're going intercontinental today." Ooh. This is a fun place to go. Apparently, I thought it would be not very fun. <laughs> So before we get into our episode today, we actually want to welcome a special guest whose voice you just heard, who is recording with us, Richard from the Private Dicks podcast and the Unethical podcast. So welcome to Coffee and Cases. We are so happy to have you with us this week. And Sleuth Hounds, if you feel the need for true crime with a lighthearted, more casual twist, I think that's how I would describe it, please check out one of his podcasts. So how would you describe your shows? That's the f- nicest way you could have put it. I like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, we just, we, w- me and the girls on Unethical and the guys on Private Dicks like to joke and it's more of a comedy, true mm-hmm. crime podcast. Uh, you guys have more of a serious tone, which is nice, um, a nice change for me. So uh, I'm glad to be here too. Uh, unethical is more like studies on unethical cases and like private dicks is cold cases and like mysteries. We solve all the mm-hmm. mysteries. We solved a lot of mysteries so far. We solved uh, Jack the Ripper. We've we've solved a lot. Like if you want to go They've figure got- out the solves, go listen to private dicks. They're already solved. <laughs> They've got all the answers over there. Yeah, yeah if you want sol- closure. Yeah, closure. You can get closure there. And I'm not going right. to say that uh, aware dingo didn't do a lot of things. Uh, I'd be lying. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, that's usually the way it goes. It, it goes, we do the case and then it ends, turns goofy, which is right. Fun. It's just for fun. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause you need that. I think with a lot of these cases, mm-hmm. you just need that lighthearted twist. Yeah. And yeah. it's not, uh, it's not anything against the victims or anything. We're, we're, we make light of maybe the bad guys, you know, mm-hmm. we're not gonna, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. So we are going to put the links to those shows in the notes for you. And now you've actually researched this case before, correct? 
we did. I think uh, it'll probably come out at the exact same time in public, like around the same oh, time. So we'll that's get to amazing. like, yeah, you'll get to listen to the the serious one, and then the one where my guys <laughs> turned it into the thing, and um, they will solve it for you. Yeah, exactly. So. It's solved. Exactly. Right. <laughs> You've got to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be commenting alongside Maggie, and of course. As always, Maggie has not heard this case. So I think this will be really good because our listeners will get to hear about the case from many different angles. So I thought about giving a history lesson about Raoul Amundsen and Robert F. Scott, the two explorers after whom the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station is named. But I decided to just let you know that it was a treacherous trip that happened in late 1911 and early 1912 when the two groups set out to each be the first to explore the South Pole. Now, Richard, did you do a lot of... Yeah, I, I, I definitely read about the these guys. It's It really just boils down to one of them made it to magnetic South Pole and the other made it to true South Pole within a year of each other and dog sleds. And it's not really that... No. You're right to just skip it. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, should I bore them with this? Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, but not today. Uh, not today. Amundsen <laughs> and his crew obviously made it first. But the reason why Scott's name is recognized as well, even though he did arrive months later and he and his crew died on the voyage, is because they managed to collect several Antarctic fossils that they had preserved before their deaths. So it was that scientific significance of the collection that led to his name being remembered as well. And since the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station is a scientific one at heart, it's controlled by the National Science Foundation. That is why both of their names are on it. It's also on the Big Bang Theory. Is oh, it? Yeah. yeah, they go to Antarctica. I'm... I'm I've never watched the show. Allison. Me neither. Sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm currently binging it for like the fourth time. You I need you both to Maggie. get on it. Okay. Right. So did, did they mention this? <laughs> they, they go to Antarctica. The scientists oh. do in one of the seasons. Oh, yeah. Crazy. At, I'll just at this take your station. word for it. Okay. Now I did, I did learn a crazy scientific fact from Richard before we started recording. So do you want to repeat it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I didn't know. I learned a lot about Antarctica, actually. I thought I found it so fascinating. Uh, it's only a couple animals that live there, like seals and uh, whales. Like, I, But the craziest thing is 61% of all of the world's freshwater reserves are frozen in Antarctica. Like 61%. That's more than half of all of our freshwater in Antarctica. That's crazy. Is that not wild? I think I, in my subconscious somewhere, learned that. Like, I feel like that may be knowledge from, like, fifth grade, you know? I, f I feel like that was a bazinga fact that you got from my... Uh, that's also go. true. A lot of my knowledge does come from TV, so... <laughs> so, to set the stage here... Peter West on the National Science Foundation website actually described the station in this way. He said, quote, Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station sits at the Earth's axis atop a continental ice sheet more than a mile thick that moves 30 feet every year. 
perhaps the world's most remote research facility. It lies at the heart of a continent the size of the U.S. and Mexico combined that is cut off from the rest of the globe by a circulating southern ocean current. This station is an amazing feat of engineering dedicated to advancing the farthest frontiers of science, end quote. But this station where the scientists are based. The first iteration of the station was actually built between 1956 and 1957. The second was built in 1975. That's the one that we're in for our case this week that took place in 2000. And then they built the most recent in 2008. And before I describe to you what this looks like, can I just pause to say, can you imagine actually building a structure in temperatures that range from negative 13.6 degrees Celsius to negative 82.8 degrees Celsius, or for us American Fahrenheiters, between 7 degrees and negative 117. No, I am. Yeah. The lowest ever recorded uh, temperature in uh, Antarctica was in 1983 at the Soviet Vostok station. It was actually minus 89.2 degrees Celsius, which is bonkers. Yeah. Wow. Wow. On this station, the main structure in the station was actually built to house 18 individuals during the winter and 33 during austral or southern summer. And that's scientists and support staff together. However, by 2000 and actually before, there were roughly 50 people working during the winter over period, which ran from late February until October. So that's winter. It's February to October, really. And 150 people during Austral summer, which ran November through part of February. And they were all in that building that was made for 33 people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you got to get cozy with everybody. And they called it the winter over because once the last plane left at the end of summer, around the first week of February, no plane could come in or out until the roughly eight months of winter was over because it would get so cold that the plane's fuel would freeze upon landing. Interesting. Yeah, this becomes a big part of, like, the case, actually. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I feel like that kind of shows you how similar this Antarctic outpost is to space. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right? Because it's like, once you get there... You're I there. Mean, yeah. You're stuck. So, yeah, for eight months, you just had to survive no matter what came your way. I think I read that, actually, and you might have read this too, Richard, that... One of the, I think it was the base's physician, found out that she had cancer while she was there and had to just treat herself until the winter was over. They did a lot of that. And it was, they sat phone other doctors to be like, what do I do next? Like, you'd have to do it over a phone, you know? I I get annoyed when I have to do like a phone teleconference with my doctor, never mind being in Antarctica. You know what I mean? Like, wow. yeah. so for eight months, you just had to survive no matter what came your way. And survival wasn't easy, even if you managed the physical conditions. Author of multiple behavioral studies on the effect Antarctica has on social dynamics, Lawrence Polinkus, told reporter Will Cockrell of Men's Journal, quote, we are social animals. 
The separation from friends and family is stressful, but the lack of stimulation of new scenery, new faces, actually causes people to have difficulty with cognitive thought. Even in well-adjusted groups, we estimate between 3% and 5% will experience some form of psychological problem, sleep disorders, depression, alcohol addiction, end quote. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Polies must have been like, during the when pandemic first started, they must have been like, haha, suckers, we got this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how many of you survive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know. They were like, open up the prison. Crack a, crack a bottle, guys. You're going to have That's to get right. used to it. <laughs> to combat those dangers, though, the police actually made the station living as comfortable as possible. The structure that existed in 2000 was affectionately known as the dome or, and I love this, Dome sweet dome. I'm Beautiful. thinking much of it know, sounds very sweet. It is majestic. It was an 18,000 square foot geodesic dome that encapsulated the buildings occupied and used for everyday life at the South Pole. And these were, there were three two story structures that kind of looked to me like shipping containers. Yeah. With with like those freezer doors that you see in commercial kitchens with the big, you know, mm -hmm. latch you got to lift up. Yeah. I, I would imagine they probably like were a type of pre-made thing mm -hmm. like that. Like I would imagine it's, it came in one big piece and they just dropped it there. Like it's gotta be hard to do all that construction out there. So uh, a big shipping container makes sense, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, when, and I don't think I clearly described this, but when you're flying into Antarctica, you fly into that town McMurdo, which is basically the only town, functioning town in yep. Antarctica. But then this scientific station is a thousand miles away from that. So you have to get on another plane and take it there. So did normal, like, non-scientific people, they live in this town? Like, I could move to this town? Not that well, I would want to, but... You mean McMurdo? <laughs> yeah. I I assume so. Huh. I don't I, know who I would, would be imagine, on there. That's what I'm saying. I'd imagine you'd only want to go there if you had, like, a job lined up or something. Like, there's no people just transiently moving right. there. Like, I'm going to find a job, construction. in Antarctica. Yeah, I don't uh, think that happens. Witness protection program, though. Yeah, that, that's probably, go. for sure, that's a good place. I would be like, just yeah. let the whoever get me if you're going to move me to Antarctica. <laughs> 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 I'll take my chances. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in this space, you actually had the living quarters and then all the necessities of basic survival and the running of the station. So, of course, in addition to basic necessities like and, and these are things I feel like you don't even think about waste management, fuel storage, a power plant, a cafeteria. I mean, you've got mm -hmm. to have all of these places at the scientific station. Mm -hmm. And then you also have one room, one physician in a biomed facility that was equipped with fairly basic testing equipment, I would say. And of course, access, you know, to telehealth calls and, and things like that. Um, you had in terms of keeping you occupied or preoccupied when you're not at work, they had a library with a collection of books. 
that a lot of workers brought with them and they just kind of left for the next crew. So that collection had grown and probably the most popular, a bar called the 90 South that was stocked with free alcohol for the police and even had its own still so they could make their own liquor for, you know, if they happened to run out. Which they probably never would have. They had yeah, so I don't, much alcohol right. there. Yeah. So books, basically books, drinking, and sex were quite honestly just about all of the entertainment that they had at the South Pole. The workers there, they, um, they were generally a, a, not only a very bright, but also a very hardworking bunch. And I mentioned before, obviously, important scientific research is going on at the Astrophysical Observatory, where scientists from actually all around the world would come to live out their dreams as much as you can live out dreams in a place like Antarctica. <laughs> but they would come to live out their dreams of studying space and, you know, feel like their research actually means something. Yeah. And some people are just isolate. They like to be isolated too. So it's mm -hmm. a place to go if you're that scientist and there's not going to be a lot of people around, you know, mm -hmm. like I feel like there's mm -hmm. a certain personality type that would be like, and it occurs the best. It'll only be 50 people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is heaven. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so the work that was actually going on at Astro were that astrophysicists would study, and this is per an article in the New York Times, quote, radiation from gas clouds around star-forming regions in space, end quote. Yeah. So the, actually the, the research telescopes benefited from being in Antarctica because there was a high elevation but extremely low humidity and low temperatures at the South Pole, I guess, was able to cut through, I guess, a lot of whatever the haze that's caused by you know humidity human pollution different things like that yeah light light was a big part of the pollution that they could cut through because they're they're dark there six months of the year right so mm -hmm. you wouldn't have light pollution ever right so exactly yeah 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 and where those telescopes were was actually in a region that was known as the dark sector and again i'm not i don't enjoy cold and I'm, I'm probably not cut out to be Canadian in some areas of Canada because of that. But when the scientists would travel to the, the radio telescopes, they would actually have to trek about half a mile or roughly eight tenths of a kilometer to and then obviously back from work in those cold elements. And I saw some pictures, I looked them up, and of course, every hair on their face was an icicle. Yeah, it's not a good day. No. I think I would do it. I day. think I would go like one time. Yeah. <laughs> Just to try it out. Yeah. I feel yeah, I feel like you like in the summer months it wouldn't be that bad. It's just when it's minus eighty and you gotta go up there. Oh, it's like, yeah. oh god. I know. Like, on on my for you page, you know, because I'm on Antarctic TikTok. These people are going there to jump into the sea. What? They like jump off a boat. Like they're Would traveling the Drake die? Passage. No, no they, they don't. Have, actually, Antarctica during the summer months has like 40,000 tourists a year 
um, going there. So it's it's actually a pretty big tourist destination these days. Um, Ron, Ron Amundsen and Scott times, not a great mm-hmm. time to visit, but now, <laughs> now people go there. Now people go there. So yes, people jump in the water. It's minus 10, which is like, yes, it's cold, but it's not outrageous. It's livable. Like when it's minus 10 here where I live, you can, depending on like, if it's the first part of the winter, it sucks wearing coat and stuff. But like, if it was minus 30 the day before, and then it's minus 10, you can go in a t-shirt. You wouldn't even notice. Oh, you get acclimated, no. right? No. <laughs> you get acclimated. No way. <laughs> see but i like the cold i just don't know if i would like it that oh, much no. but i mean i would maybe go one time if i could if i knew i would easily be able to get back in like a couple days i actually did include some pictures maggie so you can see it obviously I, richard i know you've seen it um and yeah. sleuth hounds i'll share these pictures with you on monday so you can it see looks what like an antarctic like. epcot it, <laughs> it really does like you're the epcot center circle yeah at disney world thing mm-hmm yeah, for sure. It looks exactly like Epcot. You're not wrong. It looks. I I didn't even think of that until you just said that. But I it's so I true. Either. Yeah. So do you see those buildings too, Maggie? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like yeah. the one looks like a house, but the rest kind of look like shipping containers. They're like yeah. prefab houses. It's like prefabricated, mm-hmm. dropped in their houses. Mm-hmm. It look. Yeah, that's like, what it looks like to me. Like little storage units or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that final picture is the dark sector. So those are the, like, where the telescopes are. I'm glad you mentioned Epcot, because I think the whole premise of Epcot is, you know, where the world comes together. Mm -hmm. Because they have the different, you know, regions and different things like that. And the Amundsen-Scott Station, this was a United States station run by the National Science Foundation on Antarctic land that was owned by New Zealand, where scientists from all around the world came to study and work. Yeah, the the politics in Antarctica get really weird if you start yeah. looking at how the actual division is. Like, sure, it's owned by New Zealand, but like in this, they have a treaty. But like in the treaty of Russia and America don't own any of it, but they just say, we can go claim whatever part we want at some point. Everyone's like, sure, let's sign that treaty. So it's like, it gets really confusing when you start to read into how it actually works there. So yes, it's super multicultural in that way. I understand what you're saying, but like, Mm -hmm. it's still way more complicated than just like Australia or New Zealand owns it. Right. America has a station there. It's like, but who gets, anyways, there's all sorts of crap going on there. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and all of that, I bring it up, and you know this, Richard, Maggie, you don't yet, because right. it will be an issue later. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and you'll see why. <laughs> so when these workers are done working hard, they obviously want to be able to relax with really one of the three types of entertainment that they had that I mentioned. And apparently, and I don't know if this is true or it's just a legend, a rumor that has grown into a legend that has been passed on. But it's said that they, at one of the Russian stations in Antarctica, used to have another form of entertainment, chess, until a Russian scientist ruined that for everyone by attacking his opponent with an axe after losing. Oh, my. Yeah. I I read that, too, in uh, Canadian Geographic, where they said... (laughs) Like, like that's what I mean. And then it goes to, you read it in like 10 different articles and the story changes to like the guy survived, the guy died. So right. I'm with you. I don't know how legend yeah. that is either. Right. 
But I guess, you know, chess is just too high stress to count as a pastime. So uh, workers took instead to reading, which again, according to stories, was nearly ruined when somebody was attacked for spoiling all of the endings to the books. Luckily, this uh, person, I guess, who was ruining all the endings stopped telling people. So a lot of the workers would take to books or obviously to sex. I read that a lot of the scientists took what they called an ice wife for the winter over Mm. months. Mm Mm-hmm. So they could have, you know, somebody, I guess, to shack up with. Uh, yeah, when my husband yeah. got home, he would uh, not be here. He'd be covering his case on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously the most popular form of distraction, which was drinking at the station. Yep. Mm-hmm. And one such scientist who enjoyed all of these things was 32-year-old Rodney Marks. And according to an article in Men's Journal, Marks actually grew up on the southern coast of Australia, where he loved to surf, he loved music, he loved to watch Aussie football, but he also excelled in school. So he had attended prestigious schools, including a prep school in his hometown of Geelong in Victoria, Australia. His college degree from the University of Melbourne and a PhD from the University of New South Wales. And no matter where he attended school, even among the most elite students, he stood out as bright and interested with an aptitude for science. And just to illustrate how intelligent he was, when he was 24, he found out from one of his professors about some of the science that was going on at the South Pole that was actually being conducted by the French University of Nice. So he spent a couple of months becoming fluent in French and 18 months later, fast forward, landed himself a two-week stretch at the South Pole to work in one of their science facilities. So he was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Let me learn French really quickly and just, you know, trek on down there. Yeah, super smart dude. He was a super smart dude. And, you know, that really shows you too how driven he was. And once he worked in the South Pole, he was hooked. I think he was one of those scientists, like you were talking about earlier, who said, you know what, I'm fine with not a lot of people here. Just let me do my work and then let me have my fun. Did you know that he was like he had Tourette's as well? Yes, I did. So I think I think that had a lot to do with why he liked it there, because he got to be Mm -hmm. away from people, like I said, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So and then I read that that's also a reason why he drank was because it would kind of mask the yeah. a lot of the symptoms. Yeah. Only a couple years after that, in 1997, Marx did his first winter over, an experience that he signed up for again two years later in 1999 for the winter over of 2000. And that gets us to where we are for this case. And the position there, it was a perfect fit for his specialty in radio astronomy. And because of the description of Rodney that I've given, I don't know, Maggie, what you're picturing in your head. But oh, I'm it's probably picturing the people from Big Bang Theory. Okay. Yeah. That is not that is not Rodney Marks. No. <laughs> um, I think to me, he kind of looks like this cool hippie scientist rather than the nose in the book straight laced scientific type. So he just reminds me of like a nineties punk rock guy. Oh, yeah. You know, like the quiet Mm -hmm. guy who would just like love punk rock, but then super smart. Like there's guys like that. Mm -hmm. He reminds me of that, like a punk Mm -hmm. rocker from the 90s. 
I could totally see it. And Maggie, I'm going to show you a picture here in a second. Okay. Because I was about to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> he stood. <laughs> she always does this. She always tries to get ahead of me. He stood uh, six foot two with longer hair that he sometimes wore in dreadlocks. He started a band at the Amundsen Scott station that was called, and this is quite possibly the best name for a band that I've ever heard. <laughs> Fanny Pack and the Big Nancy Boys. You know, I really love it. I am a big proponent of the Fanny Pack. That, listen, as a teacher, having a Fanny Pack was a game changing. You need a Band-Aid, falling in my Fanny Pack. You need a pencil in my Fanny Pack. I mean, it was, it was a game changer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I also saw that, like Fanny Pack or Fanny Pack and the Big Nancy Boys is amazing. But I also saw that it was uh, named the Changelings, which is less oh, yeah. fun. Yeah. So less I'm fair. going with Fanny Pack yeah. and the Big Nancy Boys. <laughs> it's, yeah. It wasn't Changelings. We'll make that yeah. official. I kind of want a T-shirt that says Fanny Pack and the Big Nancy Boys. Maybe we should yeah. make one. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, we that need a amazing. logo to go with it. In addition to that, so obviously, I mean, that makes him seem cool, at least to me, and probably among all the scientists, but he also got along with everybody. In fact, he had this warm reputation for mingling with everyone who worked at the station. So he wasn't just part of the scientist clique. Um, Gene Davidson, who was a telescope maintenance worker, told reporter Will Cockrell of Marx, quote, he had a PhD and yet he would play poker, smoke cigarettes and drink whiskey with the carpenters and plumbers, end quote. Yeah. I would imagine that that station would be tiered like that. You know, like the, uh, we're the high, super smart mm -hmm. scientists. Go right. back to your maintenance room, maintenance guys. Like, I would imagine right. that would be like that. And he, like you said, bridged that gap with everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. more often than not, he was in the bar hanging out with anyone and everyone from the station. And like we were talking about earlier, the drinking stemmed not only from the boredom of the South Pole, but also from his desire to mask his mild form of Tourette's. And from everything I, were, I read, it was a pretty mild form of Tourette's, like some deep sniffing, some slight twitches, but he was extremely self-conscious about it. Yeah, for sure. And partly due to that mingling, a young woman named Sonia Walter, who was stationed there as part of the summer maintenance crew, actually joined the band along oh. with Rodney, and they began a relationship. But this relationship wasn't one of those ice wife unions, so you can be happy, Maggie. Good. This was something real, and everybody around the pair seemed to see it. They seemed made for one another, and they actually began making plans for the future. As for the immediate present, they didn't want to spend any time apart that they didn't have to. So Sonia actually applied to be part of the winter over crew as well so that she could stay with Rodney. Because remember, she was That's just love. on for the summer. I, seriously, to stay in Antarctica <laughs> away from everybody. Maybe you can maybe you can clear this up for me a little bit here. Because mm -hmm. I, I had a hard time figuring out whether or not that was a super rare thing to happen for someone to just go like, no, I'm staying. And then someone's like, okay, cool. Cause I thought you had to go through extra tests if you were going to stay the winter. Right. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't think you could just call and go like, I'm staying and everyone like, Oh, okay, right. cool. Did, <laughs> right. did you have to do the psychological test? Cause I thought there was psychological tests to be able to stay in pure darkness for six months. Maybe I cause she was a big Nancy boy. They were like, you know what? 
she's famous, so we're yeah, just going to cut her some slack. Her yeah, that, that could be it. I just mm-hmm. I, I put that in a a, a a part of a theory, though. You know, oh, because like interesting. Because like, did she just start to go crazy out there? Anyways, mm, right? Because we don't know <laughs> if she had any predisposition exactly. for anything. But was she tested? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. But she did yeah. find out only one week before that last plane was set to leave that she had been accepted and would be with Rodney for the rest of the winter. But her excitement was short-lived. Now, before I tell you why, I put some pictures in here, Maggie, so you can see what Rodney Marks looks like. Yeah, definitely not like the guys from the Big Bang Theory. No. no. <laughs> he looks really cool, though. And uh, with the ice wife thing, I just thought of that. Why can't it be an ice husband? Hashtag down with the patriarchy. That's yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Break that glass ceiling. That's <laughs> right. You get yourself right. a nice husband, girls. Yeah, that's right. So her excitement was short-lived because as Rodney was walking back to the dome from the dark sector after a shift at work on May 11th, 2000, he began to feel sick. He felt weak. He was struggling to catch his breath. He made it back to the dome and he told Sonia, you know, how he was feeling. And the two actually went to the dining hall to grab dinner, hoping that, you know, eating something might make him feel better. But Rodney barely touched his food and only had one beer with dinner. That was in some reports. Other reports said that he didn't have alcohol that night. But on a night that they, the two would normally have then hit the bar, to round out the day, Rodney and Sonia decided to turn in early around 9.30 p.m., which is late to me. That's not early. But they turned in early, hoping that, you know, maybe a good night's sleep would be the remedy. Around 5.30 a.m. on May 12th, Rodney woke up, sick to his stomach, and began vomiting blood. He decided it was time to pay a visit to the station's doctor, Dr. Robert Thompson, in Biomed. But he didn't just see the doctor one time. Over the course of that day of May 12th, Rodney actually went to see Dr. Thompson three separate times. Dr. Thompson, like, just said, oh, you're probably nervous and sent him home the first time. Like, Yeah, I was wondering why anxiety. he had to go back multiple times. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I question Dr. Thompson. Uh, and there's only... So. And there's only one doctor, right? right. And they have limited mm-hmm. medical supplies Correct. for a facility that's like over 150 people. Yes. Universe Today reported that a report by Dr. Thompson read that Marks had been, like you said, Richard, quote, nervous, anxious, and upset, end quote, when he came looking for well, help. Well, yeah, because he's vomiting blood. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, sure. Right. I, I would be freaked out. And, you know, telling the doctor that he had barely drunk alcohol in the previous 36 hours, Dr. Thompson initially felt that Rodney was suffering from alcohol withdrawal, which can have some of the same symptoms that Rodney was experiencing. So he actually just gave Rodney an antacid hmm. and told him to rest. Okay. Mm. But contrary to getting better, throughout the day, Rodney's stomach pains grew more severe. He additionally began experiencing joint pain and, Mm. most oddly, sensitivity to light. So even in darkened rooms and outside in the dark, Rodney wore sunglasses because what little light was present was excruciatingly painful. 
Interesting. Mm -hmm. He made his way to the doctor a second time when Dr. Thompson gave Marks a sedative to calm him, again telling him, go back to your room and rest. And I believe it was on this visit and not the third one, though it wasn't really clear in the research. I think it happened on the second one that Dr. Thompson drew blood from Rodney. And as he did so, he noticed two needle marks on Rodney's dominant arm, but believing that his actions would lead to Rodney's recovery, he didn't even mention those needle marks to Rodney. Yeah. And he, he drew blood. It was the second time from my research. It's, Mm -hmm. it was the second time he went. So Mm -hmm. yes. And the, the needle marks thing, I feel like we'll talk about it more probably later. I feel like Mm -hmm. that's an afterthought because he didn't even say anything ever until later on that he says that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that real? I don't know. Unfortunately, while the biomed facility had a satellite phone with internet connection to get a second opinion or to seek information, both of them were down at the time, according to Will Cockrell's article in Men's Journal. I mean, this almost seems a little coincidental. I mean, I know we've talked about that a lot, but I feel like there's lots of things going wrong for him right now. Yeah, lots going awry. Rodney returned to his room but he didn't improve. Rodney woke up again and again vomited blood. Now he was frantic. According to Cockrell, quote, his breathing was now uncontrollably fast. Pain throbbed in his joints and he began to panic. He made his way back to Biomed, this time stumbling through the dimly lit tunnels, disoriented as if in fast motion. By the time he arrived, he was hyperventilating and combative, end quote. Hmm. And this is why on that third visit, wanting to bring Rodney some comfort and worrying that what was causing the symptoms was something psychological, perhaps, rather than physical, Dr. Thompson gave Rodney an antipsychotic injection of Haldol. Now, briefly, Rodney did seem to be doing better. His breathing slowed, and he finally seemed able to relax. Did they think he was making up the blood, the blood vomit i don't think so no i think dr thompson said it was like oh you are experiencing a panic attack so you will be puking blood now which i find crazy right yeah Yeah, i think he was just trying to make it fit with what he Mm -hmm. thought was the diagnosis and almost like what that facility would be able to handle you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. that's part of it for sure yeah so after Rodney is given this antipsychotic injection. Astronomer Dr. Adair Lane told a reporter from the New York Times, quote, his condition did improve for a while and he was conscious and he was able to converse with the people attending him. And suddenly his heart stopped and all the resuscitation failed. End quote. And Sonia, who was there as well, corroborated that statement with her own in a report of Marx's death that read, quote, I thought he was getting better. His pupils were huge. They got smaller. He squeezed my hand. He tried to sit up. He then quit breathing and we tried CPR, end quote. Minutes after that injection, Rodney Marks went into cardiac arrest, and at 6.45 p.m. on May 12, 2000, Rodney David Marks was pronounced Which dead. is crazy, because I feel like all these tests they do, part of them have to be physical tests, right? So these people mm-hmm. are in good physical health, mm-hmm. and a 32-year-old man's just going to head over with cardiac arrest. 
Yep. Yes. And interestingly, Maggie, even though you say that, the National Science Foundation, in charge of the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station, issued a statement within hours, according to Men's Journal, that Rodney had, quote, apparently died of natural causes. Well, they apparently lied. My daughter and I love smoothies, but what we don't love are smoothie bar prices. With our Blendjet 2 portable blender, we can make smoothie bar quality drinks for a fraction of the price. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym. My newest discovery is a delicious milkshake. And it's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Even better, Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. Plus, it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. You guys have heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. Best of all, the Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. Plus, they have so many trendy colors to choose from that the hardest decision will be which design you want to rock. What are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code COFFEEINCASESBLEND12, all one word, and get 12% off your order plus free two-day shipping. No other Blendjet on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it, and we do too, for your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code COFFEEINCASESBLEND12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Initially, Marx's body was placed in a body bag and stored in the fuel arches area of the dome where cold would actually preserve his body until. Oh, yeah, because he's going to be there for a while. Yes, until a flight could be made out of the South Pole. Because remember, he is pronounced dead on May 12th. And which is the beginning of their winter. Yes. Yes, winter isn't over until October. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. But his Mm -hmm. friends actually felt like Rodney deserved more than to be tucked into a corner. So workers at the station from carpenters to scientists to machinists worked together to construct a casket for Marks made of oak with a plaque that Sonia made of the Scorpio constellation, which was Rodney's favorite. And she made that in brass. And they actually took the casket via a sled to the geographic South Pole and lowered him into the ice, marking the mound. Some pictures I saw had a cross, but most of the descriptions I saw said they marked it with an Australian flag so that they could return, obviously, return him to his family once summer arrived. When the the National Science Foundation or whatever, the, those guys put out the release saying that he died of natural causes, everyone just cleaned up as if he what never existed yeah you know like because they were like oh natural causes there's no problem here Mm -hmm. you're right because of that statement and it seems like when they said he died of natural causes like you just said everyone just accepted that claim and everything continued as normal So other scientists took over working at the telescope. I think a few of his personal effects were packaged up so that they could be sent back to his family. But yeah, most of 
the rest of Rodney's things. It was thrown away. Yeah, Sony, Sony actually moved into his, his room <laughs> right, and yeah. stayed there. And a big part of this, too, with that, especially them just cleaning everything up, is like, if your husband, let's pretend you're on with your boyfriend on this place mm-hmm. and he's puking blood, are you just going to be like, yep, natural causes, clean up everything? Or are you going to like oh, demand somebody not. look into it? You know what I mean? Yeah, so like, right. that's crazy to me. That's a fair point. That That is a yeah. fair point. And yeah. obviously it would be months, not until the end of winter in October, October 30th to be exact, before a plane could land to retrieve Marx's body for proper burial or even for an autopsy, which was something that Dr. Thompson was not trained to do. And so that at least allowed some time to figure out what would be a logistical nightmare of jurisdictions. And that's what you were talking oh, about yeah. at the beginning, Richard, because with Marx as a an Australian citizen who died at an American science base on what was land claimed by New Zealand, now who is going to get his body? Who is going to do this investigation, right? Like, who's in charge? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really actually kind of sad. Like what, what actually should have happened according to what the treaty says is that it, since it happened on a U.S. base, it should have been the U.S. authorities taking care of it. Really? Mm. Um, but what ends up happening is not that, which no. is okay too. Actually, I, th- I think it's better this, what happened this way, because I don't mm-hmm. think the U.S. would have done as much as what the New Zealand people did oh. <laughs> anyways. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that as well. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, Australian and U.S. authorities agreed that Rodney Marx's body should be sent to Christchurch, New Zealand for the autopsy. And Sonia, as well as Rodney's friend, Darren Schneider, accompanied the body and did meet with Rodney's grief-stricken mother and his two sisters. So at least Sonia's there. Yeah, no, it's true. To comfort his family. But on December 19th, 2000, six weeks after Rodney Marx's body arrived in New Zealand, a shocking discovery was made. Rodney, well, shocking for the people who believed the statement by the NSF. Not shocking (laughs) to the rest of us. Rodney Marx only had trace amounts of alcohol in his system Mm -hmm. at death and had not died of natural causes instead he had died of methanol poisoning so those little needle marks could be important potentially i don't really know how one dies of that well i'll just let me give you some numbers to illustrate the gravity of this poisoning i'll just throw some numbers out at you according to mcmaster textbook of international medicine quote the consumption of as little as 10 milliliters of pure methanol may result in permanent loss of vision as little as 30 milliliters may be lethal with the median lethal dose being a hundred milliliters end quote rodney marks had ingested 150 milliliters so was this easy to get at the base like i'm sure we'll talk about yeah yes it was uh just for reference for people who don't understand what 150 milliliters is, Americans, uh, it's like a wine glass. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> it's like this a wine glass. You, Americans. It's it's a wine glass full of full of methanol, yeah. which isn't a little amount. You know what I mean? No, like that's right. enough. Yeah. Yeah. So do we know if this was? I don't know if they can tell this, but was it over like an extended period of time, or was it like he just drank a glass of wine that was literally? You know, that's a great question, but I got the sense that it was not over an extended period of time. I don't think so either. But 
you got to remember, no one actually looked into it. So right, right. we're looking at a body that's been frozen for six, four or five months mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere and then getting an autopsy then. Like, I don't even know how mm-hmm. methanol works in a body. Does it all pool yeah. after it's been frozen? You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. It's alcohol. Would it freeze at the same way? So everything's freezing. Would it just push it to the same spot? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not a scientist. I'm no big bang theory, but I I feel like that might be what happens. Yeah. I mean, regardless of of what does happen, it's clear that this was no accident. For sure. To me. So it appeared as though either Rodney Marks had taken his own life, and we'll talk about that as a theory, or that he had met with foul play of some sort. Sadly, other truths did become apparent with the autopsy. Namely, that in the corner of the room in that biomed facility at that South Pole station sat a machine that could have told Dr. Thompson what was ailing Rodney Marks. Hmm. Yes. The Ectacum blood analyzer machine, if used, would have shown high levels of methanol in the bloodstream which could have easily been counteracted by a mixture of ethanol and saline and quite likely have saved Rodney's life. But that machine wasn't used. It had a low battery, which meant that every time it was turned on, it would take between eight to 10 hours to recalibrate. So it wasn't even attempted. But I just feel like when we were talking about, or you were talking about what the doctor did, I don't, you, it would take a lot for you to get me out of your exam room when I'm vomiting blood and the first thing you do is give me Tums. Uh, I know. Right. Like, I just don't think I would have been okay with that. And taken that and then as I an know, explanation. Yeah. And then I know if this was Anthony and me in this situation, I would be like, um, excuse me, no, sir, we're not leaving. Like, he's vomiting blood. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I don't know if Sonia went to the doctor with him. She did for sure. Because she was there when he was dying, right? Well, she, she was, was there then and, and so was a friend. But like the first two times? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I, I'm not sure on that either. I think she's the one who convinced him. If I'm not mistaken, she's the one that like, you got to go to the doctor. And he's like, nah, I'll be fine. She's like, come to the doctor. So like, I don't know if she brought him, but she for sure convinced him to go. Okay. So okay. if he did, if she wasn't there, that would totally be a guy move where they just go like, I'm fine. I'll go. Like, I get mm-hmm. that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because of the autopsy results, which is routine in the death of someone who was so young, the coroner, Richard McAlray, called for an investigation that was soon headed by Detective Senior Sergeant Grant Wormald. From the New Zealand police, research reports that I read stated that the NSF had conducted their own investigation into Marx's death, but none of those results have been made public, ever. Yeah, to this day still. To this day. Instead, as Wormald requested information from the NSF, from lab results to the names of individuals who were at the station that winter over, because obviously if this is foul play, there are 49 other people. Right. You have a pretty limited list. Right. But every time he would request information from the NSF, he was met continually with the exact same response, and that was silence. Hmm. An article by Andrea 
Hotier in the Sunday Star Times notes the following statement from Wormald, quote, we wanted the results of the NSF internal investigation and to get in contact with people who were there to ask them some questions. They weren't prepared to tell us who was there. They have advised that no report exists. <laughs> to be frank, I think there's more there. There must be, end quote. Agreed. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like his friends that were there and his girlfriend, I would be like, this person was there, this person was there, this oh, person yeah. was there. Yep. You th yeah, you're right. You think they would have said, well, surely they know the other 40-some people. Right. For sure. But, like, they don't even get in contact with anyone for a long time anyway. So you kind of forget, like, I forget how the time I'd have to look at here. But it was like, anyways, I'm sure you're going to get to it, but they have a questionnaire that comes from yep. the the, mm -hmm. the wormhole or whatever, and mm -hmm. he wants to give it to everybody, all 49 people that were there. Right. And like the the NSF or whatever they're called, the NSF, they say, okay, sure, I'll make it an optional survey and whoever mm -hmm. wants to take it can take it. And this is like mm -hmm. two years later. Like, I don't right. remember stuff from two years ago. Like, no, like, like no. you could move jobs, especially guys like this. They're in and out seasonal. You mm -hmm. Maybe remember the guys you worked with two years ago. Yeah. 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 And the NSF even took out questions, altered questions to yeah. the specifications that they wanted. And Richard Wright, yeah, they, when they finally did send it out, they attached this note that says participation is strictly voluntary. And so only 13 of the 49 other crew actually responded. And even some of the 13 who responded asked to remain anonymous. And so most people say that was out of fear of losing their jobs, of not being selected to return to the station for research at future times. And so again, this is a very unhelpful uh, atmosphere here. Yeah. Unless there's something else going on. Mm -hmm. ba, ba, ba. Yeah, that's right. So despite <laughs> that small number, Wormald was able to gain some information to help in his deductions in the case. Information that I'll reveal to you as we discuss some of the theories. So let's get into those theories. And Richard, I have a feeling you're going to add some to the, to the ones that I've got here. Maybe. <laughs> so theory number one is suicide. No. I, I know already, but... Since experiencing depression and anxiety in the isolation of the South Pole, much like it is in space, is commonplace, some have wondered whether Rodney ingested the methanol purposefully. So they argue, you know, perhaps in a moment of desperation, he had drunk the liquid knowing that it would end his life in such a lethal dose. But those who know anything about methanol poisoning say no way because of all the ways to commit suicide. This would not be the one that a person would choose because of the pain that would you would go through. Right. And then why would he go to the doctor? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And Rodney, Rodney was aware of what methanol was. It's not like it was a foreign <laughs> substance to him because mm -hmm. he, they used diluted stuff to clean the, the, the telescope lenses. Right. So he was aware, fully aware of what mm -hmm. methanol would do to you. It's not like it would be like, I wouldn't have really an idea until after right. reading this. Right. But this guy was, mm -hmm. So, yeah, he wouldn't drink that to commit suicide I on no. purpose. I don't think so. Right. And and even for other reasons, people who knew Rodney said no way. Because they remind us that he was on the top of his game. 
in the science community. Mm -hmm. He loved his work. He was in love with Sonia. They were beginning talks of marriage. He didn't have any history nor signs of depression that showed up in that battery of tests that were given to him before joining the station. So for no reason, right, (laughs) that's clear, would he have committed suicide? And like you said, if he had intended, why would he have gone to the doctor three times? That's true. There is also the side of like, he did have Tourette syndrome and Mm -hmm. I did read into uh, like, there's a 2016 study that suggests people with Tourette's are associated with substantial risk of suicide, Uh, suicidal behavior uh, to be, it should be monitored with these patients. So, and he was suffering that in silence, really just getting hammered all the time to cover it up. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe, Mm -hmm. and you don't really know what's going on in people's minds all the time, especially even if he says he's happy and stuff like that. He could just be like dwelling on the fact that he's got Tourette's and he's the weird guy and nobody likes him, even though it's not true. doesn't mean it's not Mm -hmm. going through his mind. Right. So Mm -hmm. I do know, I don't, I legit don't think that he killed himself, but I do Mm -hmm. know that there's a higher chance of somebody with Tourette's to kill themselves. Interesting. And if he's using alcohol to mask and he hasn't really had much alcohol in the previous 36 hours, maybe those intrusive thoughts are cropping up more and more yeah and and you see this with like suicide victims like attempted suicide victims of like the golden gate bridge where they go like i wanted to kill myself and then i survived and like halfway down i regretted doing it so like maybe that's Mm -hmm. why i went to the doctor Mm -hmm. right like i did Mm -hmm. it and i went and i don't want to tell my girlfriend i just tried to kill myself so i'm like kind of trying to keep it right so it could be it could have been there but i doubt it it's like off Mm -hmm. my list of real thoughts honestly Mm -hmm. what i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. theory number two is accidental ingestion from a tainted still. So another theory is that since it was known that there was a moonshine still at the station, which is part of the explanation of how the bar remains well-stocked, could someone have added methanol thinking it was something else, trying to make the alcohol more potent? This theory, though, loses credibility pretty quickly when you learn that no one else experienced similar symptoms as Rodney Marks. And obviously, with the amount of methanol that was in his system, it would most definitely have shown itself in other people who drank the tainted alcohol. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Yeah. And according to the article in Men's Journal, years after beginning his investigation, Wormald was finally told by the NSF that the moonshine was tested and that it tested negative for methanol. Like, why hold that back? You know, for years, yeah, just know. tell them. Right, like, right. Uh, well, I have a question about that that I'll get to a little bit later. Theory three is accidental ingestion from homemade alcohol of his own. So since the communal still has been ruled out as a root cause, there has been some speculation that Rodney Marks may have tried his own hand at producing alcohol and as such accidentally tainted it with too much methanol since he was the only one to have been poisoned, right? So it makes sense if he's just brewing it for himself. Yeah, but but I just don't, like this dude learned French in a few months and then he's just so smart. I think Mm -hmm. he would know the lethal amount like you know how much is too much mm-hmm. for sure for i sure, would agree 100%. with you yeah yep. I, i'm not a believer in this theory either for me if if he had even the faintest idea of what was wrong with him then wouldn't he have mentioned that to the doctor on at least one of the three trips that he went to my mm-hmm. biomed so if this is the cause if he's brewing his own alcohol and now all of a sudden he's sick 
then I feel like he would have indicated that possibility, you know, and said something to, to the doctor like, hey, I did try to distill my own liquor and now I'm sick. So I'm wondering if that can be it, because that's what I would mm -hmm. be doing. I'd be racking my brain of like, what different has happened in my life? that may have caused this but rodney didn't say anything like that so that tells me at least that whatever happened to cause the ingestion of methanol had to be commonplace enough that it didn't stand out to rodney marks to mention yeah yeah that's mm -hmm. a good way to put it for sure plus why would he have even tried to distill his own alcohol when alcohol was number one free yeah free to everybody who was stationed at the South Pole. And it wasn't as though they had run out or, right? So it's not like, you know, there's a need to start brewing your own. So what incentive would there have been for him to do that? And I also feel like Sonia or a friend or somebody would have would have known that he was trying to brew it and then have said, oh, yeah, he was attempting to brew his own alcohol. Yeah. I don't know. No, I... I feel like it's not like drinking was shameful there. Everyone did it. So like, it's mm -hmm. not like you'd be hiding mm -hmm. that. It's, mm -hmm. it's like a commonplace thing everyone would be doing. So for sure. Yeah. And then theory number four, and this is my final one. So I want you to throw some out there, Richard. But theory number four, tainted alcohol. Oh, actually, I have one more. I lied. I have five. I was like, I know that this is not going to be where we end this. No, no. Tainted alcohol that Rodney brought with him. So one piece of information that Wormald was able to glean was that a couple of people at the station seemed to remember Marks having a bottle of alcohol that he had brought with him. And it stood out not only because the color of the bottle, but because it had a label that looked like it was written in Portuguese. So could Marx have drunk that bottle of alcohol and it have been tainted with methanol? So, And we probably will never know because they threw out all this stuff, They right? sure did. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently it's fairly commonplace for bootleggers to boost the potency of homemade liquors with methanol. Oh, okay. Well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. read an article that was it was pretty recent august 19th 2020 in national geographic and the reporter carrie arnold her article was titled tainted sanitizers and bootleg booze are poisoning people and for the article she interviewed uh, imagine being this expert the world's leading expert on methanol poisoning okay who was a physician newt Havda, who stated, quote, methanol poisoning is an extremely under-recognized problem. And we also know that just a fraction of those ever get diagnosed. He went on to add, quote, regardless of how cheap you can produce your own alcohol, you can always get a hold of cheaper industrial methanol. By mixing methanol into the liquor, you would be able to sell much more alcohol and make much more money from it, end quote yeah yeah methanol uh just it, it's sweet tasting and it has an alcohol smell to it so if you were to add that to another bottle of alcohol you probably wouldn't even notice so mm -hmm. I, I could see that for sure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you make your own alcohol like let's say i wanted to make like i don't know wine or beer or something is that like a typical ingredient that goes into making your own no Alcohol is made from like fermenting fruit or vegetables, right? right? Uh, methanol is made from fermenting wood products or grass or something like that. Okay, so it would be like an additive. 
it would be a different way of making mm-hmm. alcohol completely. Like it's the same way, but it's just not using pl- like it's using wood instead mm-hmm. of fruit. So you know? essentially, like this person said, when we, if we added methanol into this, our fermented alcohol mixture, mm-hmm. we're doing it because we're able to sell more alcohol at a cheaper price, Correct. essentially. Yeah. We're it, kind of diluting with greater potency. Yeah. It's like cutting, mm-hmm. it's like cutting cocaine with like fentanyl these days. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. putting, making your, just spreading your profits a little bit further, which mm-hmm. is super dangerous and nefarious yeah. people do this kind of stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was actually curious because I didn't know that it was that common, this addition of methanol. So I was curious about how long too it took for the effects of methanol poisoning, because like I said, you know, in my mind, if he's going to the doctor, I said it would have to be something that seemed fairly commonplace or else it would stand out. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering how long it took before the effects of methanol poisoning are present. And I found that it could be anywhere from one hour to 72 hours, according mm-hmm. to the CDC, with the most most commonly presenting themselves in the 12 to 24 hour period after injection. And he had a lot in his system, right? Of methanol, Yeah. Yeah. But I was thinking, sure. you know, it could be possible that Rodney drank from this bottle of alcohol, right? The friends saw in his room that they noticed one day, two days, or even three days before experiencing symptoms, right? If we're mm-hmm. going to the 70, 72 hour extreme. And maybe that's why the drinking of the alcohol wouldn't immediately have been associated in his mind with what he was currently experiencing. Right? Like, if I get sick to my stomach, I'm not going to think about what I was eating three days ago. Right? I'm going to be okay, what was I drinking, you know, what was I eating today? Yeah. And I wonder if we were able to perform the autopsy, you know, immediately after his death, if they would have been able to determine how long that had been in his system, you know? Oh, I'm Was it all at once? Was it over the span of a few days? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Had they gotten the test done early on, they could have figured out for sure. What exactly mm-hmm. was wrong with him how long he's been like they just didn't test his blood which is right now with this theory of this this bottle that people saw in his room based on that questionnaire that went out from Wormald, other testimony and even interviews that were obtained by men's journal we know that the south pole health and safety officer was one of the people who saw that Marx had that odd-shaped bottle of liquor with a Portuguese-looking writing on it. And he recalls it, even though, like you said, Maggie, it was thrown away after his death. And another individual at the station on the 2000 winter over, someone who asked to remain anonymous, told Men's Journal that he too recalls the bottle and that the liquor was his immediate thought when he heard that Rodney had hmm. died of methanol poisoning. He's, he said, oh, I thought of that bottle immediately. And this anonymous source stated that he even sent investigators the names and even contact information for those that he knew of Rodney's friends in Australia who he believed were either with Rodney when the purchase was made of that bottle of liquor, or at least might be able to help them figure out where the alcohol came from. But from everything that we know, that lead was never pursued. Hmm. So, I mean, can you imagine if they had the information, right? Here's this guy Mm -hmm. who says, oh, as soon as he hears he's poisoned, he had this weird looking bottle of alcohol. Here are the names and addresses, right? And phone numbers of his friends who might be able to tell you where that came from. And like, I wonder... 
I mean, I'm sure they didn't speak out, like you said, because maybe they're still working there and they don't want to get fired or they want to be eligible to work there, you know, another Mm -hmm. season or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at what point does your, you know, conscience take over and you do the right thing? I know. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. See, I, I don't think that the bottle would be thrown out though. That's my issue with that. I think like once they're cleaning up Rodney's things, they'd be like, ooh, cool Portuguese oh, bottle. Yeah. Let's have a drink for my buddy. Uh, Pour yeah. one up for him. Let's have a drink. And someone would have got tainted with it. I don't think they just would have been like, half mm-hmm. a bottle of booze. Let's throw that out. Right. You know, I, I don't, point. Like maybe, maybe, but I I don't know. I, I just, yeah. that's where that goes awry to me. Unless no one ever found the bottle and he just chugged it or something. It was in the garbage right. already. Yeah. Like he drank the whole thing. Yeah. And he, I mean, he was a heavy drinker, but yeah, I don't. Yeah. A binge drinker though. Like, Mm, yeah. And I don't know, even if it were tainted with methanol, how much of that liquid would he have had to have drunk in order to have 150 milliliters of methanol in his system? Would that be the equivalent of a whole bottle? No, well, depending on what size the bottle is, but it's right. like I said, a wine a wine glass full, right? So that's a, a third of a bottle of wine, you know. That's not right. Well, I'm I'm assuming that this this Portuguese bottle wasn't all methanol. Yeah, that's true right? too. So you so, probably have to pull the whole thing. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Theory number five is foul play. Um, this theory is obviously based on the idea that someone else caused Rodney's death intentionally. Recall that there were potentially needle marks in Rodney's dominant arm that the doctor noticed during one of the visits. And since Rodney was not known to even use recreational drugs, and drugs would have been a fireable offense at the South Pole Station, something that most people think that Rodney would not have risked. And if self-imposed, we would assume that the needle marks would have been on his non-dominant arm. Could someone have unknowingly injected Rodney Marks with methanol or a substance with methanol? And we don't know, again, unfortunately, because the doctor never asked nor investigated the needle marks. Like, I just wonder how that would happen. Are they doing it yeah. like they're sneaking and doing it? And if yeah. that's the case, how the heck are they doing that? See, and that's and what if I'm, he's, yeah. you know, I just don't know. I don't know this theory either. I've, there is no phlebotomist in the world who has ever drawn blood on me and no doctor who has ever given me a shot who's been able to stick a needle in my arm without me knowing. Right. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. Is like I don't think you can inject someone without knowing unless they're absolutely plastered after right. a nice show of like uh, mm. what's the name of the band and the fanny packs and the Charlie <laughs> Gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Maybe they had a real rager and then yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I don't believe that at all. And if if the needle marks didn't come from Rodney himself, then I feel like when the doctor turns his arm over to draw blood, you know, you would think he would have noticed the marks himself and been like, what the heck is that that's on my arm? Mm -hmm. If they were really there, like you said, Richard. But I mean, one could argue that, you know, maybe his eyesight at this point so bad that with those sunglasses on, he didn't even see the, the needle marks. Sure. I, don't know. I I question whether the needle marks were even there. Mm-hmm. Doctor Thompson is a 
terrible doctor. We'll yeah. just, we'll, I'm sure you're going to well, talk about him a little bit more there, but let's go ahead and talk about him. Because, yeah, for sure. yeah, speaking of the doctor, there's a lot about him and his role that has been talked about over the years. In fact, according to Noel Vinson, who's the host of the Evidence Locker podcast, the doctor at a nearby research station openly criticized Dr. Robert Thompson, saying that he believed Dr. Thompson's actions on the day of Rodney's death were, quote unquote, questionable. And you mm. add to that statement the fact that most sources I have read reveal that Dr. Robert Thompson's whereabouts haven't been known since 2006. And yep. you've got a conspiracy theory. Like he just fell off the face of the earth in 2006? As soon as Wormold started asking questions, he was yep. gone. Yeah. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll be the first to admit, I did wonder several things about the doctor's actions. And here's what I was thinking about. Number one, why didn't he turn on the machine to, you know, knowing that it had to calibrate? He, it, uh, you know, right. turn it on, first of all. If he drew Rodney's blood... Why didn't he test it even after Rodney's death? Yeah. I mean, he already drew it. Yeah, he 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 says that the people that work there weren't taking care of his machines and it wasn't his job, which it was. Um, he could have calibrated that, put a new battery and it would have been the end of mm -hmm. it months before this. And he's saying that it's not his job, which it was. So right. there, there's, all, there's all sorts of like, like, this guy is terrible. I don't know what mm -hmm. he was doing up there. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. what he's doing down there. I feel like there was something else going on for him. I do, too. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, especially, here's a young guy, a 32-year-old, and this guy's a medical professional, and you're telling me he thought that Rodney Marks died of natural causes, seeing all of the, for you sure. know, him losing eyesight and things for like sure. that. I yeah. mean, why would he not have tested it? If he really did see needle marks, why didn't he ask about them? Well, that's why I think he brought up needle marks so he could like throw some shade uh, at Rodney. So like, like a red herring kind of not, not really red herring. Just like, uh, like I didn't do anything. He was, he was injecting himself with something. Right. Like I, I did everything I could. Did I tell you about the needle marks? He was a junkie right. or whatever. He's trying to like right. make Rodney look bad. Mm -hmm. like, I don't think that's real. I think it's just made up to make himself look a lot better when he looks terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, and like we've said, there's only, what, 50 people there at that time? Right. And what's your most pressing medical need? You know, maybe somebody gets heartburn or something. So, like, why would you not be like, you know what? This guy could potentially be really sick. Let me fire up this little machine, mm -hmm. get that going, and we'll just, you know, get to the bottom of, you know, what's going on. Because you probably aren't very busy. You're probably handing out Tylenol and, right. you know, Dramamine. Yeah. 100%. And, and yeah. the, the thing is he had access and he did call, like, that's another thing. He called the mainland to see if anybody could help him with what was going on. Mm. So there's that, like, he did put some effort into it, but like minimal, you know, mm -hmm. like I bet you the other mm -hmm. doctors were like, just test the blood. And he's like, well, I can't, the machine's broken. Like, we'll just calibrate. Right. He said, but it's going to take 10 hours. Like, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> excuse after excuse. Yeah. Yeah. So I get why a lot of people are drawn to this theory. You know, I'll play devil's advocate for a moment for the doctor. You know, we do have to admit maybe he went into hiding because he doesn't want to relive what he feels was the worst experience of his life if he does feel guilty over sure. Rodney Marks' death. So, like, maybe he's in hiding not because he, you know, 
killed Rodney Marks or, or yeah, something like he, that. Not but, because he has something to hide. You know? Right. But because of that guilt that he feels, you know, maybe it's some sort of self-preservation. Other people argue that Marks may have been intentionally injected with methanol, hence the, the needle marks. But even his friend, Gene Davidson, told Men's Journal for their coverage of the case, quote, I never noticed anyone acting different afterward, and I can't think of anyone who would have disliked Rodney that much or had anything against him or even had anything to gain by it, end quote. But here's my theory, and then I want to hear your all's theories. Okay. Okay. So if we believe the foul play theory, I think it far more likely that Rodney's death was a result of an intentional act, but likely an unintentional effect of death. So I always try to really think about potential theories and what I think is most likely, and this is based on some things I read over and over again, these two facts. Number one, that Rodney Marks was a drinker to the extent that he could consume far greater amounts of alcohol than his peers and still not get wasted. Right? He could drink them under the table. And number two, that Rodney had both a dry sense of humor and he felt that all issues could be resolved over drinks, right? So what if he's, you know, trying to smooth things over with somebody or, you know, if somebody else at the station just wanted to play a prank on Rodney, you know, for Rodney for once to get far more drunk than somebody else. So maybe they had put methanol in a bottle of alcohol that they knew Rodney would drink, Right. Because we yep. know from that last theory that methanol added to alcohol can make it far more potent. So for this prank with that boosted potency, they would then be able to match finally shot for shot with Rodney and turn the tables. Right. Like yep. I'm going to get him way more drunk than me. But if this is the case, because he was so well liked, I feel like the person likely didn't know or wouldn't know the harmful side effects of the added methanol which by extension makes me feel as though it was not one of the scientists who would likely know the side effects, but maybe one oh. of the workers. Right. Cause he did hang out with, mm -hmm. you know, the construction workers right, and the all mechanics that and the, mm -hmm. for sure. Right. And I like this theory because it's, it's my main, what I think happened to, I, th I have another theory in here too. That is a yeah. possibility in my opinion. But I, I think that you're right. I think maybe, like, I was looking up this stuff. One shot of alcohol is about 44 milliliters, mm. okay, or 50 milliliters. So you get him to do one shot of grain alcohol, and then he goes, right. as if you did that, that's crazy. And then everyone's, like, laughing or whatever, and then he just does two more without right. even saying anything. And then everyone's like, mm. uh-oh, we just killed that guy, even if they did know. Yeah. You right. know, like. I'm not going to go tell like, no, maybe he'll survive. No, he'll yeah. be fine. You know, like he'll puke mm -hmm. that up. He'll be good. He'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And then by the time they find out it's too late. And this is why people aren't answering questions. Right. This is why everyone's hiding from everyone. Mm -hmm. It explains a lot, right? An mm -hmm. accident that I I'm on Are the we... South pole right now. I am not going to jail for this. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Go into prison for life. Yeah. yeah. And that's could explain too. Like you said, everyone, the doctor's like, or the, national science people mm -hmm. they're like you know what he died of natural causes and everybody's like yep he sure did yeah yep. he That's sure question. did no question yeah don't say anything maybe he was drinking with the doctor maybe that's why the doctor's so incompetent about the whole thing like maybe he was maybe. drinking with dr thompson like i mean could he was be drinking anyone. with everybody yeah yes yeah, for sure hmm. 
So for me, that's, I really do think it was like a prank gone wrong. That's really what mm -hmm. my main theory is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know if you have any other ones, but I'll tell you my last one if you want. Okay. My other one. I'm ready. Yeah, I want to know. There's this other far out theory that there was drug dealing operation at the base. All right. Uh, apparently weed was being grown in the vent vans. Oh. Um, and underground where he could get harder drugs if you suited your fancy. So he maybe he was doing drugs, mm. you know, and maybe he just had to be taken out because of debts or something like that. There is on like I for private dicks, we go into like crazy theories, too. Um, mm -hmm. But on Reddit, I went into a deep Reddit hole on this one. And there's a lot of people <laughs> that do actually think there was like drugs going on, which is funny to think right because like right mm -hmm. why are you going down there to be a big druggie like i feel like that's a but if that's the case that would explain why people aren't saying anything either you know what i mean like yeah. if it's yeah. a big drug thing and if the nsf found that out that would be very embarrassing so that's why they're covering it up too they probably would know after they went and did an investigation and they went no we're not telling everyone this this is international territory now we're gonna get like kicked off of the antarctica like right. you know what I mean? like <laughs> that's right yeah, like, we, we, I don't want that either. We need to look at our stars. The gases need to be studied. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, PR nightmare. I, yeah. So for one guy to go, like, like, you know, Russia already has one murder. So let's just keep mm -hmm. it there. You know what I mean? It's expected right. from Russia. That's <laughs> right, what right. Uh, yeah. lying about murder. That's what's expected from the U.S. So they're just like, whatever, we'll just lie about it. <laughs> That's right. you know what I mean? So let's that's just right. do that. And I, I know yeah. it's the it's the funniest explanation. Like it's not real. Like I, I know that's not the case, but like I just like to think that there's 50 people at the South Pole making the best drugs ever and selling yeah. it to America. <laughs> like, right, right. I mean, yeah. it takes a lot of ingenuity yeah. if you're yeah. growing weed in Antarctica. Yeah. That that's actually that one I believe. I believe someone was growing weed out there, but the rest of it's mm. just mm. gobbledygook funniness <laughs> for me. <laughs> I do feel like, though, like with the NSF doing their own investigation, if it were an accident, why wouldn't they have released the results? I Maybe they just don't know. They're just like, not, I mean, yeah. do you mean an accident like, you know, Prank we're pranking on. him and he yeah. accidentally died? Yeah. I just think that they would want to cover that up. That looks really bad on you, you it know, does, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's just a PR thing. I would be like, yep, we're just going to say this was natural causes and nobody wants to go to jail. So all these people are going to agree. I meant more like if they could, you know, if they've got multiple people saying it's this bottle of alcohol that he drank. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Then why try then, to cover it up? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because then it has nothing to do with them. Yeah, I feel like they would say something if it was a like a bottle of a tainted bottle of alcohol. Mm -hmm. But if it was a prank on wrong, they would cover that. I feel like they would right. cover that up for sure. Yeah, yeah. Or the last and final theory from me, um, it was The Thing from John Carpenter's The Thing. And uh, that was a documentary, not a, not a movie. <laughs> I promised the guys I would bring it up. <laughs> We're going off the deep end here. Yeah. yeah, I promised the guys I would bring up. That's what they've turned it into, The Thing. Coming up so. through the ice, breaking through. Yeah. Hey, you're talking to people, though, that, like, think – you know, the Yeti could have been responsible for the people that passed away at Diet Law Pass oh, or yeah. Baba Yaga. So, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, you never know. That's yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> Although Rodney Marks's case was officially closed in 2008, the coroner has stated that he disagrees that, quote, accidental poisoning and even foul play can be adequately disregarded without a full and proper investigation, end quote. 
Lead investigator Wormald has agreed, saying, quote, in my view, it is most likely Dr. Marks ingested the methanol unknowingly, end quote. As to how that ingestion may have happened, though, well, that's anyone's guess. Even Wormald was not privy to whatever findings the NSF had. Wormald noted of the NSF work, as reported in Universe Today, quote, it is impossible to say how far that investigation went or to what end, end quote. Of that same lack of cooperation, Rodney's father, Paul Marks, stated, quote, and I don't think we're going to try to find out any more in regards to how Rodney died. I see that as a fruitless exercise. For heaven's sake, a man has died in your care. Why wouldn't you help the police? End quote. Despite the fact that investigations into his death have slowed to a halt, his friends continue to keep his memory alive on the icy continent. There sits a mountain named Mark's Mount, where a plaque rests at the base as a tribute to him. Additionally, as often as he is able, friend and fellow scientist Darren Schneider, along with a couple of Rodney's other close friends, periodically return to the South Pole with a new Australian flag to maintain the marker of where Rodney Marx's body was buried for several months. Rodney's remains were finally laid to rest in Australia, near the southern shore that he adored growing up. While his second burial brought him home, a second look into his case might bring peace to his family. Rodney Marks dedicated his life, his passion, to figuring out answers to the mysteries of the universe. Now let's use both science and passion to figure out the mystery he left behind here on Earth. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. It's love notes from Maggie and Allison. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) And I am so happy to be back with you guys this week after missing the love notes last week. We tried to get ahead, and then when we get ahead, the love notes, we're not, you know what I'm saying? We can't be ahead. They're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And speaking of last week, congratulations to Sarah for winning our giveaway. So, round of applause. I know. She was super excited when I emailed her, so that was super exciting. Yeah. And we have lots of love going out to Marina, Emily, Scott, Nikki, Clara, and Larissa for reaching out to us this past week. Yes, we love hearing from our yeah. listeners. Marina actually reached out to say how much she enjoyed the first full interview. Oh, Yes, that awesome. Maggie posted. Yes, on Patreon. If you are not currently part of our Patreon, we did actually just complete a mm-hmm. survey with what our Sleuthhound family there wants. And we are now in the process of revamping the content that we post because, Mm -hmm. you know, Maggie and I aim to please. 
That's what I was about to say. (laughs) Yeah. We want to match those wants. And one of those wants was to have access to interviews rather than some of the mini episodes. So make sure you check us out. And if you are not a member of Patreon yet, please consider joining to give yourself a little gift and to support the show. You get all kinds of bonus solved episodes and now, you know, interviews for just $7 a month. Plus, if you join at the $12, $15, or $20 level each month, you will also get in on the quarterly swag boxes that we Mm -hmm. send out. Obviously, your level determines the number of items you get in your box, so there is an incentive for you to join the higher level, but honestly all the levels of swag boxes are pretty awesome yeah i think so (laughs) and if you want to be part of the next round you are just in time so you would Mm -hmm. need to join one of those tiers for march through may Mm -hmm. and here is a hint for this next swag box coming out we will need your t-shirt size for that swag box so it's going to be pretty good yeah So if you want gifts or just the gift of bonus content or to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash coffee cases, or we've made it super easy and put that link in the show notes for you. That's right. We did. And now for our super duper love going out to Mm -hmm. our most recent five star review writers. The first is 84. Would you say Berber or Bear Bear? Berber. I think Bear Bear sounds cute, but it's probably I like Berber. Bear Bear, who wrote, quote, my all-time favorite cold case podcast. I Love have been it. listening to three to four episodes a week and am almost all caught up. It is making me sad to think I will have to cut myself down to one a week. Maggie and Allison are the best hosts and do a wonderful job researching and telling each case. You can tell they have hearts of gold and really care about each and every victim's case. They have wonderful intros, and most of them tie in personally to themselves. Keep up the great work, ladies. You two definitely make this world a better place, end quote. And now let me go cry my tears of joy in a corner over here for that review. Thank you so much. That was such a good one. That's one Mm -hmm. of the sweetest ones, I think. I think so. And we got another super sweet review from Frustrated Coconut, which I love that (laughs) name. I know. So we're sending you out some love as well. And their review said, quote, found you ladies at the recommendation of a friend and I can't stop listening. Thank you for being tactful, not swearing and bringing light to cases I've never heard, end quote. Well, well, thank you for taking the time to leave us such a good review. And we are giving so much love for those kind words. And please also give love to your friend who recommended us because we appreciate that as well. Yes, we do. Share the love. And we want to end by sending out love to Curly Bell, a listener from Australia who wrote, I know, I love that you cover cold cases. I'm not particularly loving the loving yourself during COVID suggestions, but that could be... That they would have been more useful during COVID. (laughs) Keep up the great work, end quote. And, you know, I I suppose those do seem a little bit out of place now Mm -hmm. if you're just now finding our show. But we do want you to love yourself as much as we love and care about you. So. And thankfully, <laughs> the COVID episodes, we were only separated for a short That's amount right. of time. Because I That's do feel right. like we're better together. Yes, definitely. And with that, all of our love is going out to each and every one of you. Until next week, Sleuth Hounds. <laughs>